Well, today is the last day of our July Grace Challenge. Most of you know that uh, throughout the year we've been learning about grace in very practical ways. We've certainly been learning about the principles of grace, but we've also been learning to practice grace. And so today, uh, if you have taken a backpack or a blessing uh, box and make sure you get that filled and turned in, if you didn't do it this morning, uh, you can bring it back this evening. And we are thankful to all of you who have partaken in that, who have joined your prayer pal and not only prayed for those teachers and their students, but hopefully prayed for your prayer pal. And uh, here's a couple pictures of some folks, the Bannings uh, took their prayer pals out and filled theirs, and then uh, Tammy McCullough went with her prayer pal, and she was able to, they were able to have a great time together, not only receiving a blessing, but being a blessing. That's an important thing to do. It's easy in, in the Christian world to focus on the blessings we receive through Jesus Christ. But remember that that brings with it a great responsibility to overflow with those blessings. So today is the final day. I know it looks like one of those furniture commercials or something, uh, um, but it really is. We're not going to extend this anymore. We make deliveries on Wednesday. And uh, by the way, if you are interested and available and would like to help uh, deliver uh, all of these crates and backpacks, many hands make light work. And uh, I will tell you, honestly, it doesn't take much to make me sweat. So if you would be willing to join me and you have Wednesday morning open, uh, just come talk to me afterward and let me know. I would love to have uh, five, ten folks. And uh, if you have a pickup truck, that would be all the better. Uh, it's not too far away. And uh, we'll just, I think, if we get enough folks, should be able to make it in just a trip or two. And we'll take those to the individual classrooms, and we'd love to have people to pray, uh, not just deliver the materials, but also to pray for the teacher. They will not be there until next Monday, but just to pray over that classroom and to pray for the people who will fill it this coming school year. Uh, Thank you for your generosity and your prayers concerning that. Uh, Today, we continue in our series that is called Margin. And margin is basically living within God's boundaries so that we might experience the fullness of his blessing. Now, our our key verse for this series is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8, if you want to turn there, says in the middle of the Bible, says the wise, the prudent, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is self-deception. We have to think about how we live and not just live from one day to the next day or one week to the next week or one month to the next month. And all of a sudden we look up and say, where did life go? The, 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 The gift that God's given you, of course, is eternal life. That's the greatest one. But he's also given you your life. You ever thought about that? That your life is a unique gift, that you have a unique calling, that you are skilled and equipped to do unique things. But it's up to you whether or not you're going to do that. you got to give thought to your ways. Now, the wisest man who ever lived and who he wrote a lot of uh, the Proverbs and a lot of wisdom literature, he wrote about this. In fact, he wrote a book uh, after the book of Proverbs called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is an interesting book because the wisest man who ever lived sits down to write a book. 
He, he goes through just about every way and possible thing you can experience in life. Wisdom and pleasure and work and time and toil, advancement, climbing up the ladder of success, even riches, wisdom, obedience and authority. He goes through this entire thing chapter by chapter, and he kind of comes to the same conclusion again and again. Meaningless, meaningless, a chasing after the wind, which is sort of a depressing conclusion, but true. If you don't come to the very last conclusion that he came to, his conclusion on all of it was this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, last of the part of this book. Written by the wisest man who ever lived next to Jesus, of course. He said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and obey his commands. Now, I don't know if you have a life like Solomon. Maybe you're fortunate enough to have experienced much of what Solomon experienced in his life. But even if you haven't, you can come to the same conclusion without having to go through the same experience. And the conclusion is this. Regardless of who you are or what your story is or where you've been or what you've done, the entirety of your purpose as you were created is to fear the living God and to keep his commands. And when you do that, you begin to figure out, oh, man, this is hard to do. You, you have one purpose in your life, to fear God and keep his commands. And to do that, you have to do things in the right order. Now, since the teens are not here this morning, I thought it would be just great to pick on them. I found this video of a, te- of a few teenagers trying to use some old technology. How many of you remember the rotary phone? Yeah, let's watch this clip. I asked you a question. Four, three, five, one. Is that like two, one? No. Four, what? Oh, you're wrong. Is it like two and four, what? Oh, no, I was saying you're right, but I don't know if that's right. I thought you had spinning around. What's your number? Oh, I think I know what it is. What's your number there? Hang on. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I know how to do it. How many have ever used a rotary phone before? How many of you remember how painful it was? We used to communicate with people using sparks. And you really got mad at people that had more than one zero in their number, right? You're like... Now, what's funny about that, especially if you've used a rotary phone, is that you know what they don't know, and that is this. They don't know the process. They've never had to use it. They don't know the order that you're supposed to do things in. You're supposed to pick up the phone, you hear for the line, then you dial. And it takes about a half an hour, but then you get there, you dial through, and you have a conversation. And you're sort of tethered. You can't walk around, right? 
Now, we can make fun of teens because they don't know the order, but there are people, there are people, and maybe some people even in the pews that live their lives like this, just trying to figure things out because they don't know the order that God intended them to live by. Solomon came to that conclusion. Well, well, what's the order? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing you have to do to figure out the right order is to put God first. Now, you sort of expect the preacher to say that, and you certainly expect the preacher to say that in the sermon, right? Stephen Covey, who's not a theologian or a preacher, but he wrote about habits of highly effective people. And one of the things that Stephen Covey wrote was the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's cliche and it's kind of cute to remember, but it's really harder than it sounds to live by. Sometimes we, like those teenagers, get things out of order in the wrong sequence and and things aren't working like they should. To, To do that, we have to put God first. So what is the main thing? Well, I mean, you you know what I'm going to say. You know, I'm going to say God. But which God? Turn the book of Exodus, if you're following along. The Exodus second book of the Bible. And Exodus is to a large degree the story of an escape, the story of the Israelite people as they come out of Egypt and go into the promised land. And part of that, God gives his holy people his holy laws. He gives them the holy commands And in Exodus chapter 20 are probably the ten most well-known of the commands. Now, this is not the entirety of the law. There were over 611 by one count of laws and rules that you had to keep. But these are the top ten, and they concern our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Now, before you start thinking, okay, what are all the top ten, I don't even really want to get too far into that. I just want to read the first three verses of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That was a problem in their culture. They had foreign gods like Ammon and Ashereth and Baal and Chemish and Dagon and Molech and countless other false gods that you read about in the pages. And again and again and again, the Israelite people, whether they were worshiping an idol or whether they were offering their children, if you can believe such a thing, as a sacrifice to a false god, they would struggle with idolatry again and again and again. It was a really a big deal. In fact, God really spells out the beginning of the Ten Commandments that if you'll get away from false gods and follow that true God, you'll be able to keep those commands a little easier. To which we in a Western world, in our 20th century mindset, think, well, that's not a problem for me. I mean, I don't have any idols laying up around my house. We don't offer any sacrifices that I know of. Uh, it's not a problem. Idolatry is not an issue. Or is it? You may not worship a false god that's a statue. You may not go through some series of ritualistic experiences trying to call upon some foreign god's attention. But in my estimation, idolatry is still a huge 
problem. You see, any sin that you struggle with, any sin that you're tempted by, is really a matter of something trying to to sit on the throne of your heart. There is a, a throne room that God put in your heart. It is only designed for him. If we could picture that this morning... It'll look something like this. Now, there are better thrones and they're more glorious and so forth. But this, I thought, gave me and you the visual of this throne room in your heart. Now, you may not have ever put uh, Baal or Chemosh or Dagon on that throne like the Israelites did. It's sort of easy to pick on they're false gods. Oh, how could you do that? How could you, how could you go and serve idols? How could you wander off? How could, even after God had done all these things? And I gently ask you this morning, what are your idols? What's on the throne of your heart that shouldn't be there? Here's a big one. Money. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with money and having money. The problem is when money begins to have you. You check the value of your accounts daily. You become a little obsessive when the media breaks in about why the market's going to tank today. You think a lot about it, if you have enough, if you have enough to last, how much you make, how can you make a little more. You see, money is one of those tricky idols that is, is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And too often people get those roles confused and they begin to put this idol on the throne of their heart and it takes more place than it should. It takes the place that really only God should take. Maybe you don't struggle with money. Maybe your idol is sports. Maybe you played sports in high school. I would say played sports now, but... Maybe your dream is that you couldn't be Tiger Woods, so you'd like to be Earl Woods. How exactly did that work out for Earl? You watch ESPN more than you read your Bible? You willing to take kids who are in the spiritual formation of their life And take them for the entire weekend to a tournament. And focus with everything you have and yell at the coaches and email people and and yell at the refs. Because they didn't treat your kid right. And how are they ever going to make it to the majors if they don't see what you see? Maybe you've got an idolatry problem. 
Maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's work. I mean, it's not a bad thing to work. You've got to work. In fact, the scriptures even tell you to work. And you know you've got to work 40 hours a week, and the boss is going to ask you, maybe you want some overtime, making that money. And so you work a little more, and you work a little harder. And yeah, you don't, you don't see the wife and the kids as much, but you know they'll get over it. And they've got all this stuff that you can get them now, and it's a way bigger house than, than you used to be able to afford. You spend a lot of time on your smart device working when you should be present with your family. So interesting when you think about it that no one would say they have an idol, but lots of people spend lots of time bowing. I'm not picking on cell phones. I use mine quite a bit. But there's a time to put it down. There's a time to put it away. There's a time to stop working and be present and enjoy the fruits of labor and enjoy rest. Work's not a bad thing, but it can become an idol if you let it become a big thing. Maybe it's your phone. We picked on that one a little bit already. Maybe you're on your phone so much that your kids begin begging you for a phone because... It must be so good for you to ignore them. They want to see what's on there. And it's so easy. I'm in this stage. I'm in this stage of, of having young children and just to give them a device and say, watch a movie or play a game or so that I can spend more time on my device. See, we have more idols than we think we do. And I haven't even begun to get the tip of the iceberg. It's important that we put God first. Having a phone isn't bad. Going to work isn't bad. Enjoying sports and leisure isn't bad. And having some money is not bad until you put them on the throne and see that's the worst of it. Because all idolatry really is, is putting you on the throne that was rightfully reserved for God. Idolatry is very real. And if we're not careful, we can let it consume us, and we can put things on the throne that do not belong there. Let me tell you a biblical story about two women. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. In Luke 10, 38 through 42, we read a short account of two women who were very similar and yet very different at the same time. Similar because they were sisters. They certainly probably looked alike and they probably had some personality quirks and acted alike. But when it came to Jesus, they acted very, very differently. Luke chapter 10 Verses 38 and following, we read this account, and I'm reading from the NIV. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I always get in trouble when I preach on this text because I usually get accosted by some folks who are sort of Martha-esque. Aren't we a little too hard on Martha? I mean, wasn't she trying to do something good? You ever have the Son of God over to your house? The pressure of what do you make? What do you feed him? What do you entertain with? This is a stressful position. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. Look what Jesus says in verse 42. But few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha was focused on her job, and Mary was focused on her Jesus. Martha was focused on her task, and Mary was focused on her teacher. Martha was focused on making bread, and Mary was focused on the bread of life. You ever been there? I, I do believe at my core that there are task-oriented people and people-oriented people. And maybe it's our natural disposition. Some people can just, I mean, they just focus on people. I'm a task-oriented person. You know, when, when I greet and meet you, I'm on task, okay? This is a terrible confession to make. It's not my heart. It's my job. See the difference? Have you been there? Have you, as you sat there in worship, and we provide this convenient order of worship, and we go through... Sing that song. They'll welcome. It was a little long. Sing that. Sing that. Did that prayer. And I love it when that guy prays. Okay. Lord's Supper. All right. Okay. Offering. Drop that in. Okay. Two more songs. All right. Sermon's not too long. We're out of here. You see, this is a real struggle for task oriented people. As my son, I confessed last Sunday. He said, Dad, could we just take this off? He says, because sometimes I'm, I'm so concerned with checking off where we are that I'm not really there. Oh, I hear you. Now, for you people who are people-oriented, this is not a problem. But I'm just giving you confessions of a Martha here. Have you been in worship, but worship's not in you? You're understanding the difference between Mary and Martha. Mary understood 
Jesus is not going to be around forever. I'm not going to be around forever. So I better take the time now that I have with him and cherish every word that he says. May we learn to be like Mary in our hearts. And for those of you Marthas out there, I I understand we got stuff to get done. Relax just a little bit. Jesus is still in charge. And he told us there's only one thing that you need. And that's him. It didn't change from then to now. So once you've put him first, the challenge, the challenge then is to do the second thing, which is to keep God first. You see, God doesn't just want a seat at the table. He wants the table. God doesn't just want to be near the throne. He wants to be on the throne. God deserves his rightful place as master and Lord. And if you call Jesus Lord, you sure better treat him like it. Jesus said on the last day, on the last day of earth, there's a day coming when lots of people will call him Lord, Lord. But Jesus is going to say, who are you? Oh, you want to know me now? You want to know me on judgment day? But for your whole life, every other thing went ahead of me. Jesus wasn't being harsh here. He was being real. Uh, The scripture that was read for you already, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, if you're a task-oriented person, my guess is you're familiar with worry. All the things you have left to do, all the things left undone, all the stuff you got to do tomorrow. And Jesus says, you just have one thing that you need to focus on. The king and his kingdom. And when you do that, everything else, everything else falls in its rightful place. The the problem is we tend to think things backwards when when we come to the God thing. You know, we we get all these things out and we say, well, (laughs) as a teenager, when I just get a phone, then I can focus on the Lord. I think I can do that then, right? Uh, then I can focus on the Lord. When I, when I just get the work situation, you know, I'm almost VP. Then I'm almost on my way to executive VP. And when I get that worked out, then, then I'll get the God thing. I'll be at church more, I promise. And then, you know, when, I, when my kid gets to be D1, then we'll, then we'll have it made. Because he can support me or she can support me just as I've supported them. Then we'll have the God talk. Then we'll get that worked out. Or, or when I get enough money, when I just reach that seven-figure mark in the 401k, then we'll get the God thing worked out. We sound like a fool building a tower, tearing down barns to build bigger barns. And Jesus called that man a fool because he focused on the wrong thing. 
May we not forget whose place it is that goes first. God first, then everything else. Isn't isn't that, I, I love this about the New Testament church, that we come together in celebration of the resurrection on the first day of the week. Because that's what they did. But, but here's, it's not just a matter of when the day is. It's a matter, I love that it's the priority of the week. You got your whole week ahead of you. But you're here today and all of you at some point today had to make a choice that said, you know what? I realize we got a lot of stuff. I realize it's a heavy day. But we're going to go to the house of the Lord. We're going to put him first. And you apply that with your time, you apply that with your money, you apply that on the job, you apply that with your kids. And it sounds easy for me to say it, but is it harder to do than it is to say? If you're connecting with me, just say, oh yeah. We in Christ are called to consider God first in all things. So my question is, do you? Do you consider God first in all things? When you wake up, what do you do first? You talk with God? You listen to God? Or you pick up your phone, clean out the emails, check the to-do list? When you plan your day, is it all the things that you want to do? Is your list made of the things that that you want and that you need and that you believe you need to achieve? Consider this. I pray that God might give you a holy interruption or two this week. You're on your way to do the thing. You're in the middle of typing the deal. And the phone rings. The email comes up. The person walks in and they say, "I I know you're busy, but I just need a minute. And God gives you the opportunity to engage in his holy work. You see the difference? When you are connecting with God, when you plan your day, your day doesn't plan you when you put him first. Be open to God's leading. What about when God gives you income? When you get a paycheck. I just got a paycheck today. I'm so grateful. And God gives you that income. And you make a budget. Christine and I did that yesterday. We made our budget for the month of August. And right up there on the very top is God's portion. The tithe. The 10%. And putting God first. What about with your friends? When you're with them, are, are you with people who continually point you to God? Or are they people who continually pull you away from God? Are they people that, that if the preacher showed up randomly as you all were eating there at Chick-fil-A and said, hey, mind if I sit down? Would you say, eh, you start to sweat a little bit and it's not from the spicy sandwich? Who are the people in your life and are they bringing you closer to God or are they pulling you away from him? What about when you're given a week? What do you do with the first day? Is it his? Or does it belong to every other thing that is now crowded into Sunday? The new thing is Sunday fun day. 
You want to talk about it? I mean, that's putting me on the throne, right? Sunday's for me. I mean, I worked hard all week. I did my chores yesterday. Sunday's for me. And you think we don't struggle with idolatry? I'm not saying don't have fun on Sunday. Don't miss what I'm saying. May you consider in all of these things. After you've planned your week, you've got to do, if you want to last, you have to keep God first. If you want to last, you've got to keep him first. So I want to ask you two questions. And they're this. Number one, are you putting God first? Remember in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. It's come down to the final moments of his life on earth. And he's, he's about to be arrested. And he's spending that time in prayer. And he says, God, if it's possible and you can take this, and I know that you can, I pray that you will. And then he says this in verse 42. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, to the very end, Jesus put God, his Father, first as an example for us. And he did that for you. It wasn't his will to go to the cross. It was his Father's will to send him to the cross. And he did it because he was obedient and because he loved his Father and he loved you. My question is, have you accepted that gift? Have you allowed him to be sitting on the throne of your heart by repenting and putting him on in baptism. Now that's the first step. And it leads to the second question. And that is this. Are you keeping Jesus first? Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 2. Last verse. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says. Since you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is. Seated in the heavenly realms. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You can't be raised with Christ while keeping your heart here on earth. You got to not only put him first, you got to keep him first. So as we close, let me give you the grace challenge because we're getting ready to enter in August here this week. And uh, this is kind of a cool one. I'm very excited for it. Begins this Wednesday, August 1st. And the challenge for August is to pray with people. I know we pray for people. We do that all the time. But I want to challenge you to pray with people. Whether it's a coworker, a friend, a family member, someone, you know, you're standing and talking with somebody about all the problems they're having in the checkout line. And you say, may I pray with you? So it's simple. It's very effective. But it can be a little intimidating. And so... As you exit out today, there are these orange bracelets, and just pick a hand and put it on there. And I want to encourage you to wear it upside down so that other people can see it, not you. I hope it sparks a conversation, not just between you and them, but between you and the heaven, the heavenly Father. May you keep your mind fixed on things above, not on things below, because That right here, things below ain't going to last. It's not any sense of permanency. And if you are not ready to leave this earth, if you are not in Jesus Christ, you need to be ready. There's no greater time to be ready 
then you come forward this morning, repent and put them on in baptism, and we'll be happy to help you with that first step. Or if you've done the first step, but you've let him slip off the throne, and you need to repent, you need our prayers, you need our encouragement, whatever we can do to help, we want to do. Please come. All together we stand and sing.